Hi, I'm Corey Moss. Welcome to the first episode of Tech Exchange. Uh, this is a show uh, about technology, news, trends, and more. Uh, there are four of us as regulars on the show, and I uh, am going to introduce uh, everybody who is involved as a regular on the show. We also have a guest on the show with us who we're going to get to. Um, again, I'm Corey Moss. Uh, I am the producer of Tech Exchange. I am not the host. I will introduce our host soon. Um, and uh, it's something that I came up with uh, some months back uh, that I did want to put together and, um, and put out there in, uh, in podcast. And we've finally been able to do it. And I found some really, really good people to work with on this. And let me start by introducing uh, Krista Bender. Krista works with uh, me on AV Power Up as the host of that show, and I, you know, I wanted to bring Krista on this one as well. So, Krista, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself, tell yourself, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hello, I uh, I work for a systems integrator on the East Coast. If you didn't know that already, so I am responsible for providing end users with systems that they want and need to help them with their communication and collaboration efforts. I like long walks on the beach and corgis. And don't forget soccer. And soccer. Yes. Okay. Just figured I'd put that in. Um, all right. Next is Johnny Moda. Uh, Johnny also does AV Power Up. He also does the AV Insider on Rave Publications. That's been a show that's been going on for uh, quite a while now. Uh, we'll have Johnny tell you a little bit about the AV Insider, about himself. Johnny is a writer. Uh, Johnny is, of course, a podcaster. Uh, Johnny is an integration as well. So, uh, Johnny, tell everybody a little bit about Johnny Moda. Hey everyone, my name is Johnny. Uh, everything that Corey said is true except for the fact that my assistant who happens to be a small Maltese Chihuahua mix does all that work for me. So currently you're seeing my face or listening to my voice, but it's all been pre-recorded by my assistant. Um, I'm a big fan of technology. I love it, hate it, and actually by the time you hear this it's probably all changed because that's how fast it moves. And um, yeah, I, I say random stuff and things. If you listen to the AV Power Up show, none of it really makes any sense unless you're as silly as I am. And hopefully I'll, I'll have some more serious comments to, uh, to or information to provide on this show as, uh, as to keep things moving along. Johnny, Johnny brings stuff and things to AV Power Up. I know he brings some to the AV Insider. Johnny is going to bring great technology insights to this show. Uh, and, and the great thing is, and I'll tell a little bit about myself, is we all bring a little something different to the table. So my background has been in AV integration sales or was in AV integration sales for quite a while. I actually started out in computer rentals back in the early 90s. And we were dealing with those three gun projectors, you know, those hundred plus pounders. And then your portable, you know, LCD 25 pounders. Um, you know, but it was really my start in AV and then, you know, I had gone back and forth in AV and IT computer sales. Uh, once then I finally got into AV integration sales and, uh, and moved to the, from there handling mostly education market, handling corporate and some other things. Nowadays, um, my interests really are great in unified uh, communications and collaboration, mobility, BYOD, cloud, um, IOT, mobile cybersecurity. These are all the kinds of things that I've, um, you know, really gotten more into in these days, as well as writing for rave, podcasting and more. So, um, you know, that's kind of my profile. And uh, now I'm going to turn it over to the host of the show. Like I said, I am not the host. Uh, the host of the show, Jane Johnson. Uh, Jane is with Pivot Communications. And uh, I'm really happy that Jane did decide to host this show. I think Jane brings great things to the table to, uh, to be able to do a show like this. Uh, so Jane, why don't you uh, take over, tell a little bit about yourself and um, you know, take it from there. Great. Thanks, Corey. Um, like Corey said, Jane Johnson with Pivot. Um, I have been in the AV industry for, gosh, about 15 years now. I spent five years working for an AV manufacturer, and now the past 10 years is the owner and chief strategist at Pivot Communications. And our main 
focus is helping technology companies find and acquire new customers. I am very interested in market research, technology buyers, the online buyer experience. So you'll hear a lot of uh, perspective on that throughout this show. So uh, very excited to be here. We've got a lot of fun things to talk about. The first section that, that we're going to do on every show is uh, kind of a little topic roundtable where we each share what we have seen in the past week or what we want to sound off on. So we'll start with Corey, who's uh, got a little bit of uh, insight on a managed services article. Yeah, so I went looking around uh, over the last couple of days and you know, I went on AV Network and found a really good article called The Importance of Selling Managed Services. Uh, and uh, this one starts with a great question and one that actually um, I was talking about a lot at Infocom and here's the question. Do you sell products or solutions? The answer is probably both. But when you're selling, what is your main focus? Selling products or selling solutions? Now, I know I had spoken to manufacturers and some in particular who were showing me products and I actually said, well, why wouldn't you consider that a solution? Um, to which I think I may have frozen one of their spot uh, after they tried to show me, uh, you know, the box. Looking at it as more of a solution. So Julian Phillips, Executive Vice President at Whitlock, uh, also Board Director at the Global Presence Alliance and Board Director Infocom. Um, Whitlock, being an AV and UC solutions provider, uh, you know, evangelizes that the AV industry should be focused on selling solutions and more specifically platforms that drive overall solutions. And our guest on this show knows all about evangelizing and he'll weigh in on this uh, in, in a minute or two. But, you know, I think the importance of selling managed services these days, especially, and looking beyond boxes at this point, um, selling services, solutions, uh, it's really a main message in the industry at this point that the integrators need, and I mean need to pick up on at this point now uh, rather than later. Uh, so, uh, so Julian, you know, does have some great things to say here. There are a couple of other gentlemen, Bob Sharp, Director of International Sales at SVSI, Cliff Enico, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, contracts lawyer based in Fairfield, Connecticut, um, who also weigh in on this. And uh, again, a really good article in AV Network. It's from July 7th. And um, you know, go ahead, everybody, uh, whoever would like to weigh in on this. Yeah, I think it's a really important point. I was actually talking to a, a VP at a Fortune 500 finance company. And she was telling me about the importance of managed services for them and how when they're evaluating solutions, they never do it without seeing what kind of after, you know, post-sales support they get. And so I think for the AV integrator, it's a great opportunity to find new ways to add value and drive revenue. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and again, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about the box outside the box and all, and, and really in terms of generating revenue, um, this is again, really, really the way to look here. And I know Simon, uh, you have certain opinions on the selling and, of solutions and managed services. So, you know, why don't you, uh, sure. Thanks, Corey. Uh, good afternoon, morning, after whatever it is. Hello everyone. Um, yeah, it's interesting to me that I spent 28 years in it in one form or another. Uh, I started when I was four, by the way, before you asked. And, um, it's interesting to me that a lot of people, I was talking about this two years ago. In fact, in Sonoma, uh, I was talking to a bunch of uh, partners there and, and, I said to them, what do you think of managed services? And many of them were like, yeah, we prefer selling boxes. And I, but, but why? Well, a couple of reasons. I make revenue now rather than revenue over two or three years so I can work out how to pay a sales guy. Um, it, it's something I'm used to. And yeah, managed services is coming, I understand that, but, but I'll be retired by the time that happens in, in 15 years from now. And you look at these people go, you're mad. But the problem is, you see, is that most people believe in the statement, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always had. And as I'll be talking about in much more detail later, it's utterly false. If you continue to do what you've always done, you're not going to get what you've always had. You're going to get a much poorer result. And in fact, the way that the world changes so fast these days is that that cliff 
that you fall off of of, of lost revenue is going to be a appalling it will be the death of a significant percentage of the resellers if they don't change their business but don't underestimate how hard it is it's very hard to move from a from a sell in a box and making a you know a nice 30 point margin on a nice expensive box and moving on to the next one much harder to retain customers to make a little bit of money every month to work out how to run your business it isn't easy people need help with it but they have to do it or else they'll be out of business yeah, and that's basically what's being said now. And, 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 you know, they've been saying it probably the last few years about change perspective, go out of business. And, and, you know, there have been those companies that have not been able to compete anymore and have gone out of business because of it. But the message, I think, is being hammered more now than before in terms of if you don't start changing that perspective now, Others are essentially going to eat your lunch for you who are. And I do know some of these integrators who are heavily into the managed services space. And and, and what's very interesting about this article, too, is uh, uh, Mr. Enico is talking about it from the managed services contract side and clauses and contracts and things of that nature. And that's another part of this whole managed services, not only implementation, solutions implementation, but contracts as well is uh, something you have to discuss with this. Well, it is, Corey, but one of the things that our industry has this nasty habit of doing is, well, it does a couple of things. It says we should change, and then 98% of it doesn't want to. And then no one, no one seems to understand how hard it is to change. You can't just reinvent a company and just, oh, well, we'll rent everyone everything and do it over a three-year or five-year animatized rate. Well, that's great. How do I pay payroll at the end of the month? And no one seems to have thought that through. Or they, some people have, but the majority have not. Because the clients want it. I said in a presentation recently, uh, if it flies, floats, or functions, rent it by the hour. And that's what customers want to do now. Because at the, we've now got to the point where technology is changing so fast that customers end up taking longer to implement a technology than the lifespan of the technology. And so what do you do about that? Well, the best thing to do is rent it. And then when it doesn't not fit for purpose anymore, stop renting it. But that's going to be hard for the resellers. I think there needs to be more support from manufacturers, for example, and from other parts of the world to help these resellers move from one place to the other. It's, it's a lot, it's very easy to say it. It's very hard to do it. And you know, I, I, I did talk about contract because back when I was in integration and we sold service contracts, and I think we did it in certain ways where nowadays it's more robust and more bold in terms of how you have to position it. But playing off that statement, Krista, if you remember when Julian was on the show um, on AV Power Up, and he said kind of the same thing that Simon did is making payroll, keeping the lights on. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, Julian Phillips, who was in this article, actually said that on the show. Yeah, he had said a lot of the same things. And I um, have had experience with working with managed services as well um, at my previous employer. And it's, it's daunting when you're first taking on uh, that as a potential revenue source, because there are so many things like payroll and, and just managing the people that are technically off site that you're never really going to see again, unless you have them check in, you know, once a month or once a quarter to the to main headquarters. So it's, it, if you could do it right and implement it correctly, it's, it is a fantastic revenue source and it provides a plethora of solutions for your end users. But if you don't go about it right, it's easy to crash and burn. And then, you know, nobody's happy because then you're having to lay off employees you've just hired to provide solutions for customers that are now angry with you because you couldn't meet their needs. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, thanks for the sharing that article on managed services and Crystal, let's keep it with you and share your uh, article. Sure. So as most people know, um, Infocom was in Orlando in June. However, uh, two manufacturers that were at Infocom decided to go back to humid and awesome Orlando in July, and that was Crestron and Microsoft. So um, I came across this article via a uh, rave pubs um, you can find it on their website. It's uh, the title of it is Crestron joins industry experts to discuss IoT and collaborative 
Solutions at Microsoft Worldwide Partner Conference in 2015. So the, w, the WPC, the Worldwide Partner Conference, it provided an opportunity for Microsoft partners and customers to learn about their um, direction that they're taking the company, hear from industry thought leaders, and attend expert-led presentations that were tailored to meeting businesses and their challenges, as well as network with dynamic technology executives from around the world. Um, this year, the WPC kicked off with a pre-show event to showcase the new Microsoft Surface Hub, which if you were at Infocom, more than likely you took a, a gander at when you walked past the Microsoft booth. So what was interesting about the WPC is that Crestron decided to join them. And Crestron was the only partner that partnered in this exclusive event to demo the new Surface Hub solutions for uh, that enterprise. So for the past two years, Crestron and Microsoft have been collaborating together um, to help the Surface Hub Surface Hub unlock the full potential of today's meeting spaces by natively integrating the premier large format Windows Touch appliance with the leading control automation and enterprise AV technology that Crestron offers. So they use Crestron's AV framework, which is uh, their Crestron's new operating system that's supposed to integrate with the Surface Hub and requires no additional programming and is ready for use right out of the box. Now what's interesting is that it seems to be, while Crestron plays in a residential and professional world, it seems that this comes from more of a residential side because during the WPC, uh, both Crestron Ping and their MC3 control systems were prominently displayed at the Microsoft device bar on the showroom floor. So um, basically both solutions were leveraging the, the internet of things and cloud technology to extend intelligent control and automation capabilities throughout the home and at, across the enterprise. So I thought it was really interesting that, um, you know, as we talked to Julian on uh, AB Power Up a few weeks ago, he was talking about the Internet of Things and talking about um, his company, Whitlock, being one of the few people that have partnered with Microsoft. And it's interesting to see that Crestron is, you know, one of the few uh, um, manufacturers that are deciding to partner with Microsoft to get them out into the hands of end users. Yeah, when you walked into the uh, the booth space at Infocom, the Microsoft booth space, and there you saw Crestron. I mean, it was immediately evident uh, that Crestron had uh, partnered with Microsoft and the Surface Hub. Uh, so, uh, you know, not only Microsoft being there this year, but being there, you know, partnered with Crestron as well as, like you say, with uh, Whitlock and others. Um, this being at the WPC and you know, WPC being a major event every year for uh, Microsoft. So it's very interesting how AV gets into the, the WPC space now with Crestron. So kind of a turn of events there, I think, you know, where now Microsoft comes into AV and Crestron goes into, uh, into that realm. So I find that very interesting. I do. Do you, do you guys think, oh, sorry. Other um, AV manufacturers to follow Crestron's lead on this? start getting involved with Microsoft or is that kind of an exclusive partnership? I imagine that there's going to be other people that are involved. Um, I'm not sure of any others right off the top of my head, but I would imagine from all sorts of uh, manufacturers, there, there's got to be someone who, uh, someone else, whether it's display or they offer their own sort of collaboration uh, solution that's going to want to get in on this because Microsoft to me, when you're when we talk about the com convergence of AV and IT, which has happened already, yet we still act like it hasn't. When you say Microsoft IT people, they light up, and all of a sudden, that's something they understand. So I think that it's going to behoove other manufacturers to partner with them. I I have to say I got some comments to make. Um, we'll talk about Microsoft stand. Before we go any further, I am just about to torpedo any job opportunity I ever had with Microsoft. So not that I would apply, um, he says. So uh, Microsoft have played this game numerous times, right? They did, if anyone remembers, they did a bunch of video conferencing for Link technologies a couple of years ago. Number of manufacturers, life size, Polycom, few others um, 
who else made one? Uh, Smart made one, a few others. And frankly, they were horrible. It was great big displays with uh, very small graphics windows with lots and lots of space around them. The video was low quality. They used webcams. It had a separate PC. The quality of the experience was far poorer than the existing video conferencing systems. But it was all right because what Microsoft did was effectively use it as a science experiment. Right? They, they get a bunch of manufacturers to go, oh, look, I can partner with Microsoft. I will then build all this stuff, spend all this money on R&D. Microsoft gets to see if it actually is successful or not. If it is, then they'll either white label it or they'll uh, go to a cheap Chinese manufacturer to build it for them. And if it didn't work, well, it cost them nothing. And that happened in video conferencing. I personally think it's going to happen with this whiteboarding technology. I think it's all this uh, interactive stuff. I think it's interesting, but I think we could all agree. Well, you don't have to agree. Hopefully you don't agree. It isn't mature because after Infocom, they got such bad feedback that actually they said, well, I know we were going to launch it in September, but now we're going to launch it in blah, 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 blah. And everyone went, Wait, when? And they said, well, in, 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 in the future we'll launch it, which means it's half cut. And I think anyone who actually watched the demo, who didn't die of boredom because they were so terrible at demoing it, um, would agree that it's not ready. It's interesting as, a, as an intent, this is where Microsoft's going, but this isn't a product that anyone in their right mind would actually buy today in my personal, humble opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't read the write-up or don't recognize the voice, this is Simon Dudley, um, who does carry opinions uh, every now and then in the industry. Uh, <laughs> I, will, uh, I, I will let Jane uh, formally do the introduction. But uh, Johnny, did you want to uh, add anything to the, this table? Well, actually, I have a question for Simon. Uh, do you think that Microsoft should have waited or not have even bothered showing their so-called not-ready-for-market solution or product, if you will, uh, this year as a uh, just kind of waited? It's a good question, Johnny. I, I think that I don't know what they were going to show last year at Infocom. I know what they Couch. did show. They showed the, they showed the World Cup. Um, I mean, there was nothing on the Microsoft stand last year. This year they had something. I always feel with Microsoft that one department goes, oh, there's a big show, oh, we better order the biggest booth there is and spend a couple of million dollars on that. And then some other department is start, oh, you better fill that with something. So they had to show something off. And to be fair to Microsoft, one thing they're very good at is developing products over a period of time that get better and better. I mean, let's look at Link. Right? Link five years ago, ugh, horrible. Link now, excellent. So, so they're pretty uh, honest, I will argue, about uh, they do a lot of their development in public, as it were. They, they will look at a product, they will experiment with it, they will show it to people, they'll get feedback and they'll go and improve it. They don't do that very quickly, but it is a pretty inexorable machine. So I think it was actually the right thing for them to do. I, I think that the show, Infocom, was perhaps at the wrong time for them. If it had been in November, for example, they're probably, or maybe the end of the year, they'd be at a better position to show off the technology. But as it was, it got a lot of buzz. They let the world know that they're coming out with a product. So a lot of customers, even if they don't buy a Microsoft product today, will buy nothing while waiting for Microsoft to come up with their solution. So I would argue that actually it's probably in Microsoft's best interest because there's such a big beast that they can afford to wait. If all they did was delay sales, and put a few people off buying Call Manager, for example, or a viral, somebody else, then, then they achieve what they were looking for. Uh, they play by very different rules than any normal manufacturer who actually, actually have to get a product out and make money out of it. So you have to think about them differently. So you think it was better than just showing sports like last year? <laughs> well, actually, last year was very good. If you wanted a quiet couch to go and do your email from, the Microsoft booth in 2014 was ideal. And the World Cup was on in the background. You couldn't even get anyone from Microsoft to come and talk to you because they were all sat on the couches watching, micro, watching the World Cup. Actually, was it even manned? I didn't even know that there was anybody from Microsoft there last year. Well, all right, the people on the... I don't know who the people were. They could have been the cleaners, but they were fairly well-dressed. Yeah. Um, somebody was sat on the couches. Maybe, maybe they just didn't bother. They saved on T&E by sending no one. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, to me, personally... I think Microsoft is having a difficult time dealing with the uh, 
commercial side of things and the enterprise side. And I say that because I, I'm a, a regular gamer and I have an Xbox and the Xbox 360 and I've been living the Xbox Microsoft world for many years now and they've done a fantastic job on the consumer side, you know, with collaborating. I mean, it was, they were the, one of the first that did it right where you could get on your, your video game and be talking to someone around the world while you're shooting zombies or driving cars or whatever you're doing. And they've done such a great job with that there that they're trying to do that in the professional world. And I just, I think they're getting lost because in the professional world, it's, it's hard to immediately get people to want to talk to each other and they they can't find that common goal to link them. Would you say that they're game changing? In the consumer world, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. No, that was a thing. We know you love that, Corey. No, of course. He, he had to do that to me. Um, I guess I'd weigh in on that, really just saying, hey, they brought it. It got the big hurrah. It's got the Crestron partnership. It's got the other partnerships, whether it's ready for prime time right now. Uh, yeah, it's been delayed. So, But you know what? The, the rollout was there. So now it's at WPC and Crestron's there. So I think the grand kind of the grand circle has been formed in mm -hmm. essence for this. So maybe that's uh maybe that's the big picture uh you know taken out of all this at this yeah, point. They know how to get attention, they know how to do a product launch. So mm -hmm. uh Johnny, you have something for us. I got nothing. No, I'm just yeah, joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh I read some articles and it was um I don't want to get too specific about the article, but basically about IoT integrator. And so before we even get into what even that even means, uh, my favorite buzzword or my least favorite buzzword, IoT. The Internet of Things, or as more people are referring to as the Internet of Everything. But honestly, in the AV and IT world or technology world, if you will, IoT, if you will, isn't new. It's just new to you. Um, we've had smart connected devices, amplifiers, rack stuff um, for many years. And, and we've had devices and services that allow a technology manager or in, in my case, most of the time, you know, the integrator at a home or a high end building or of sorts to manage things remotely. And now the, por the portion when I'm talking about where it's just new to you, it's more new to the general consumer. Because when I hear the word IOT, I think people or the word IoT is specific to the general consumer who wants a smart bulb, a smart thermostat, a smart device, but they're like, they're not necessarily an integrated solution or device. It's an independent device with one app on a phone that doesn't work with something else. And the term, so, so that's what I think when people say IoT, it's, it's a, a smart connected bulb or device and in our world we've had internet connected devices for many many years but i don't think people when they say the buzzword iot are referring to what we do with integration i think it's very much specific to the consumer's entry-level smart connected device now there are iot specific integrators and a few probably i think it was the end of last year um, Google acquired a company called Revolve and they were basically that first integrator. They were an integration company that developed a device, which was also an IOT device, if you will, but it was more than just that. It had a hub just like every other IOT smart bulb nest, everything device that's on the market today. But what they did was it took all these devices and it brought them into one ecosystem or app so that you didn't have to go open and close different apps like having multiple remotes in a house. It, it was one app that controlled all, you know, like a Philips Hue, a Nest, all these things. But Google was smart and acquired them and, and made what I always refer to as uh, Android at home. Many years ago, Google showed us uh, 2013, 2011, something like that, what they called Android at Home, which I now I think is, is called Works with Nest Program. And most people who, and it's an IoT device, if you will, they have Dropcam, they have, they have the Nest thermostat, they have the Nest Connect, and all these things are, are working together on an app or ecosystem through um, what Apple is kind of doing similarly uh, with, with HomeKit, although they don't really have any 
IoT devices yet to deploy, although there are a bunch coming. So the term IoT isn't really new. It's just new to you. Thanks, Johnny. I think we'll talk maybe a little bit into some definitions uh, a little later in the show. But let me formally introduce our guest that we're very excited to have today, and that's Simon Dudley, and he is the Chief Contrarian, which I love the title, and I'm sure everyone comments on that, at Accession Events. And Simon is a very well-respected public speaker. He is a recognized video and UC expert. And beyond that, the guy just has the most fascinating background. If you go on his LinkedIn profile, he reads like he's an international man of mystery. You know, everything from jumping out of planes, and plane crashes, and fist fights, and so... Um, Wait, are you comparing uh, him to Austin Powers? I actually was thinking more of the, you know, the Dos Equis guy, so I think... Oh. Thank you very much. You can tell this is audio if you think I look like the Dos Equis guy. <laughs> well, you'd be like, I don't always jump out of planes, but when I do... <laughs> I think you could do that well, and you've got the accent to boot. So, Simon, I'm super pleased that uh, you know you're on our show today. So, if you want to give us a little bit more um, of an introduction, and we'll jump into the. Well, thank you, Jane. Uh, so, first, I don't know if you just say I'm international man of mystery. Is that and I look like the Del Secchi's guy? Really, there's nothing. It doesn't go up from there, does it? So, um, yeah. For those of you who don't know me, I have been in the video conferencing space since. 92 when I happened to be living in Australia and wanted to talk to my dad on a regular basis who was back in the UK and Couldn't because it was two dollars a minute to ring the UK on a telephone at the time and um, I saw video conferencing it was way too expensive, but thought this will change the world it was certainly it was going to change mine and um, I got involved in video conferencing at that point having been in IT for almost 10 years previous to that and um, somehow waited for the video, the video conferencing rocket to take off for 23 years. And it hasn't taken off yet. Uh, but so I, I did a load of things. I worked for Polycom for five years. I was one of the original team that started LifeSize uh, back, in 19, uh, in, back in 2003. And we did some fantastic stuff with the world's first high definition stuff. And I got a couple of patents in there and did all sorts of fun things. Best thing about being the fifth guy in a company is every year or so, someone comes up to you and says, so what do you want to do next? And you go, well, I don't know, I'll do that. And luckily they don't look at your CV or your background or your qualifications and you get to go and play with things. So for the last few years, I was Life Size's video evangelist, which isn't as good as contrarian as a title, but isn't too bad. But I didn't go for evangelist again because evangelist gets you on all sorts of of um, let's put it this way of lists within email systems that mean that uh, that I'm unqualified to participate in and I think I'll just leave it at that <laughs> and so I left life size after 12 amazing years in March uh, decided to do my own thing I've got a book coming out called the end of certainty which is about the way that change works in, in industry and, and in technology and everyone is in the technology business these days um, and that's out in a couple of weeks, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing some consultancy, helping people design. Uh, in fact, this is a new thing for me, but I, I went to Infocom and realized that everyone was just doing, just machine gunning the facts into the faces of all the clients, and I thought, I, I, I know how to do better trade shows than that. And so I'm doing some consultancy on that for a bunch of companies. And kind of gun for hire, really. It, it's all interesting stuff. Yeah, well, fantastic. And, you know, your, your mention of Infocom is a perfect segue for where I wanted to start, and that's a terrific article that you posted out on LinkedIn, which you're, you're facted to death. Thank you. And yeah, I, I tried to make it as, uh, as controversial as possible. I, hope I, <laughs> I think you've probably succeeded. Imagine that. <laughs> so, um, you know, because you touch on a lot of things that, you know, we've talked about, and, and I know that Corey's a big fan of people always talking about the box. And, uh, but one thing I wanted to touch on is this idea of narcissism, because I think your article could also be called, you know, the rise of the narcissist and you referenced a study and, and it seems like this need that we have to talk about ourselves is really the underlining factor of how manufacturers and their salespeople get it wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, by the way, uh, I'm of course a narcissist now. I mean, one, because our entire society has become one and two, I'm an entrepreneur. And therefore, the first thing you have to do as an entrepreneur is self-promote. 
um, I forget who said, self-praise is no recommendation, but you have to start somewhere. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, the trouble with man, the, a lot of the manufacturers is that we've got to the point where organizations have stripped themselves of the, of the process that they used to have that would keep people's feet on the ground. So, and I talk about this extensively in the book, but as an example, if we think back, as I'm sure we all know, our middle, um, middle European uh, uh, history, the kings of the courts in, in Europe used to have a jester. And the jester used to be the person who could go along to the king and all these, all these uh, acolytes and say, no, 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 what, what you just said was nonsense. That's bullshit. You can't say that. It's not, you're making it up. You are drinking your own Kool-Aid. And um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a fact that, um, that, that that's been removed from organizations. What's happened in the last few years is that CEOs of companies have become ever more powerful. They've got rid of the checks and balances. It's too good for most people's careers to be, to be compliant rather than contrarian. And as a result, they all start believing their own bullshit. And frankly, Infocom is a perfect example. And not the show. I think Infocom, the organization, does a great job. I mean, I truly do. But the, the, a lot of the manufacturers believe their own stuff without actually going, well, hang on, hang on, let's have a reality check. Does what we just say make any sense at all? I did a panel discussion for Infocom. One of the very big manufacturers on my panel, I was the moderator. We talked about UC. And not only could no one on my panel give me the same definition as anyone else as to what UC even stood for, but one guy babbled on for about four minutes, which is a long time on a panel discussion. And at the end of it, he stopped. And I looked at him and said, I understood every word you said and not a single sentence. What is that? What did you even say? And he looked at me stunned, like, what do you mean you didn't understand? So I didn't understand. Can you explain it? And he's thinking to himself, no, I can't explain it. It was just what marketing told me to say. It was nonsense. <laughs> I can yeah. only imagine who that person was. Uh, I can only surmise, I guess. Yeah, and, and I'd rather you did that as an email privately to someone else. <laughs> I, it's probably available on a video, but... It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter because any of them could have done it. That's I just happened true. to pick on this one guy. That's true. No, that's true. Do you, Absolutely. Do you think it's getting worse now? Have other shows been better and it's just slowly we're getting worse and, and talking about ourselves and self-promoting a lot more than we used to? Well, this is me now self-promoting. Um, the last few years, uh, Life Size was at Infocom. And I have to say, uh, because of what me and others did, we did a much different type of show. So was the show worse this year? Yes, because Lifestyles wasn't at the show and didn't do, for whatever reason, and didn't do that. I, I, I don't know if it's worse. Maybe I've just noticed it more because I wasn't working a booth last year or this year and I was last. I, I do feel, though, that most industries are better at understanding that there's more to this than simply having a ton of facts and piling into the customer's face until they capitulate. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to have a narrative. You've got to help people understand. Why should I care? Simon Schimmick says, started with, start with why. And nobody at that show did. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to me that there's a lot of, the, there definitely was the rise of the Chinese manufacturers, particularly in things like displays. Now, that, I'm not having a go that some of their technology was beautiful. Some of these 25-foot, 8K displays, gorgeous to look at. And they were terrible at narrative. But to be fair to them, I expect them to not be very good at narrative yet, right? They're brand new at the show. They're not in a home market. This is probably the first time they come to the US for a story. They're not native English speakers. I can't expect a lot of those Chinese manufacturers this year to be good storytellers. But they were no worse than the, than the American and the European companies that have been there for 20 years. And I think it goes back to that. If we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always had. That sense of, well, we've always done this. And, it, you know, it kind of works. And we go along and we stick a Ferrari on our, on our uh, booth and so we can scan lots of people so marketing can come back and say, yeah, we scanned 5,000 people. But hang on, 4,950 of them only came onto your booth to sit in a Ferrari. 
Right. Hey, you know, Simon, it's funny because on LinkedIn, this pops up every once in a while. The scariest phrase is we've always done it like this, you know, and uh, and I guess that's part and parcel of the discussion here is, hey, this has worked for us every year. Why should we change uh, the tune now? Um, you know, well, it's effort. You see, there's also the other issue is that marketing departments book booths for shows and sales departments man them. And marketing departments and sales departments, generally speaking, they're like cats and dogs. They don't like each other very much. Um, both think that the, you know, marketing thinks that sales are, are, are morons and sales thinks that marketing is lazy, right? As a general principle. And I've, I've got a big, deep background in both and probably both are right to an extent. Uh, you know, sales departments aren't great thinkers. They're doers is what they're all about. But, but just working harder is a terrible answer. I can't, I've been in business for 28 years. I don't want to work harder now than I did at 20. That's a terrible answer. And if everyone wants me to be 10% better the next year than last, well, compound interest means I'm now working 300 hours a week. Well, I can't do that. And who wants to? Right. Where do you, where do you think the ultimate failure lies and how to correct the problem? Because there, there is always this historical battle between sales and marketing. And yes, the salespeople need to be better storytellers. Is it on marketing to help them become better sale, uh, storytellers? Is it on the product development team to share that story of why they developed the product in the first place? Well, I think it's an interesting question. And, and I think there's, new, there's not one answer, right? I think the first one is marketing, I would argue, need to own event booths, EBCs. Right? EBCs are typically another cluster. They're horrible experiences. Clients fly a thousand miles to sit in a meeting room that looks just like all the other meeting rooms they've got in their office. So why have you flown them a thousand miles? Oh, so your execs don't need to travel to see their customer. Well, why would the customer think that's a good idea? But anyway, marketing needs to own the story. I think product design and product marketing, and I did that for LifeSize, by the way. Um, my job was to make, people would ask me in the early days, why? what do you bring to product marketing? And I said, my job is to make certain engineers don't build the world's best coat hanger cigar lighter. <laughs> right? You know, technically genius, no one will buy it. I, I, the, the best analogy or best story I heard around this was what Amazon do now. Before anyone in Amazon develops a product, the first thing they have to do is write the press release as to what the product will look like who it will address, what it will do. And you work backwards from that. We used to have these things called MRDs, marketing requirement documents, PRDs, product. Most companies do product requirement documents. How many HDMI connectors should be on the back? Rather than why would anyone care less about this? So I think if marketing needs to be the, the company, the organization within a business that owns the story, and therefore they need to own it. And salespeople need to be on the booth, certainly, but they need to be told what to say. Mm -hmm. Basically what most companies do is here's a product, you work it out. Right. And they do that to the resellers, they do that to the customers, they do that to their own sales organization. And you turn up at a booth and you listen and there's six people, six salespeople doing in theory the same demo, the same product at the same time to seven different customers and they're all saying different things. Yeah, it happens all the time. And that's where you get into, you know, what Corey loves is that I reference is that box discussion where everybody holds up their box and says, hey, look at this. And, you know, I, I had a person from the media tell me that what he loves to do is go around and take pictures of people's box and say, wow, you put a button on the bottom of the box. That's so awesome. And he takes a picture and gets them all excited. They think they're going to get coverage. And he's just like, who cares? You put a button on the bottom of the box, you know, and but tell me what it does and why it matters and what problems it solves. Oh, I agree. We, we used to do it at Life Size. I, I made them stop for a while. I think they may have gone back to it. Um, when they would introduce a new uh, like server-based thing, they put a picture of the black box with the word Life Size on the front. And Polycom does it, and Cisco does it. I mean, who, it's a rack mount, 19-inch rack mount box. Who cares? I, I will say services are making people rethink because you can't, you can't take a picture and go, well, there it is, of a service. The other thing with a service is you've got to keep reselling it. Every month, the check has got to come in again. So a customer has to effectively repurchase that technology every month. They have to decide that they want to use it again. That means that things like cognizant dissonance needs to be 
an, an important aspect. I bought this a year ago. I now need to continue to decide to buy it next month and the month after. When you sell a box, you know, the hour after the box is installed, the sales guy doesn't care less. He's on to the next deal. Whether the box ever gets used or not, particularly in video conferencing, where traditionally video conferencing, were, they were biggest dust gatherers in history, and they would all sit there, you know, 15 years ago, sit there in a the corner, no one would use it. No one cared because it wasn't, there was no um, incentive that a manufacturer to make certain use of it again. No, that's true. Corey, did you want to weigh in on this or we'll move on to the next? Um, well, did we talk about, we did talk about your blog where you referenced the Grand Monarch, right, Simon? Um, the Queen of England, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, basically, it, it, that was about, what do you do, right? So the first half, the first article, um, the fact of death at Infocom was about what a mess. And then the second part was, this is what you can do about it. So I recommend people go and have a look. Uh, the article's called, you can just Google it. It's called, um, does the Queen sing that everywhere smells of fresh paint? There's an old joke in England that, of course, wherever the Queen goes, she's cutting a ribbon or putting a champagne bottle against the side of a boat, or whatever. Everything's just been painted. Hmm. Well, people need to do that for, for things like EBC events and for trade show events. You've got to make it feel like there's some sense of occasion. But one, thing that come, one thing that people do a bad job of is understanding the power of stories. Our, there's an old Jewish phrase that says, God loves, why did God make man? Because God loves stories. And um, I don't know if it's true or not. Well, I guess we'll find out at some point. But right now, that's an interesting one. Everyone agrees that stories are important. Right? That's why they watch Orange is the New Black or, or, or um, you know, The Walking Dead or any other TV show in history is all about stories. Even the news is about stories. The financial news is boring because there's no narrative. A puppy down a well is a story, so everyone cares about it, even though you really should care about the financial news rather more than a puppy down the well, right? And, uh, well, I'm not saying puppies down wells aren't important, Christopher, but what I am saying is it doesn't need to be on the news. Just rescue the dog and be done. That's what YouTube is for, right? Not, not the six o'clock news. But anyway, so people love stories. It's, it's ingrained into our society, into our lives, and they come to work and go, right, we'll list all the facts and the customer work it out that we're better than them because we do this. Well, guess what? Customers don't work it out. It's not their job to work it out. It's your job to explain the story in a way that people can understand it. And if you can't do that, then your company needs to find someone who can. And I don't care how rich the puppy is. It's irrelevant, Johnny. I was just checking. <laughs> It, that's what the YouTube is for. In fact, I was in the bath with my other half last night watching puppy videos. Right? It's that's what the YouTube. But don't put it on the news. Right. It's American news we're talking about here. It's not news anyway. It's opinion. None of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, terrific. So another big, another thing that was you know big big converse topic of conversation to Infocom and and we've talked about it a little bit here is the Internet of Things buzzword or is it really something that's going to shake our industry you know Maybe uh, what's what's the definition of internet of things because you hear a lot i don't know did we find out from the keynote simon what the definition of no. internet of things is no that we didn't find out the definition of anything from any of the keynotes or any of the panels uh i mean i can talk about uc right which uc unified communications uh, or uc and c um which is even more meaningless uh has been has been words used by manufacturers the last 10 years. And you are, I had six video conferencing uh, um, manufacturers and one supplier, you know, one partner channel, big one, on my panel. And I asked them, so the, the title of this presentation is Unified Communications, has the sweet spot moved? So, well, before we worked out whether it's moved, can we define where it started? So can each of you define for me what, and all these people had the questions in advance, what does UC mean? And everyone gave me a different definition, and everyone's definition was basically what they made. So everyone defined UC as this is what we make, so UC is this, and anything that's outside of this isn't UC, and we're the only one to make it. And by the way, we didn't have any of the telephony. You know, we'd had Shortel, Mitel, 
uh, Cisco's call manager, uh, Microsoft on there, they all would have come up with different answers. So if we can't define something that's been out there for 10 years, like UC has, we can't even define that. What chance have we got? Internet of things is whatever's cool. It's like, um, it's like uh, high definition was cool about five years ago. Oh yeah, if you want polycon, high definition audio. How, how is it? How can it be at least 1080 by, sorry, 12? Uh, was it 1280 by 720 pixels at 24 frames a second? How can audio be that? Is it meaningless? But then I remember back. It's like the 1980s where I had a pair of sunglasses with a turbo written down the side. If you wanted something cool in the 80s, it had turbo written on it. So I, that's what I think with the IoT. It's anything that any really anything you connect to the internet oh it's iot it's a thing it's on the internet done well you know it, it is a thing it's connected um and they say connected things uh so yeah with the uc discussion you know i listened to uh you know i watched that post infocom video with you uh and david maldow uh, david danto and jules trono and you know obviously right now in the uc environment you know everybody's saying what is it really you know what is uc what's the definition but IoT the same way, and Johnny, you know, you know, your knowledge of IoT and all, um, you know, it's not a new concept, like you said. It's been around for a while. Uh, sensors, things that are connected. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, um, it's been around, right? Preference between Internet of Everything or Internet of Things, or does that just depend on who you are? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what I'm saying, though, is like, I, I don't think it's new. I think it's just new to the general consumer and the term IoT is the is what's new. And it's like Simon said, it's just, you know, whatever you want. Like we put it, we put a thing on it where we make this thing now. And now this is the internet of things. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I think I think that they just took this buzzword and it's it's kind of going back to the discussion of like, we aren't selling solutions. We're selling boxes. Right. It's a thing. We sell it. It's connected to Internet buzzword you know marketing you know sell 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 i'm like but is it really a solution and what what is it you know what what exactly is the internet of things or the internet of everything and yeah, the, the idea of a smart connected item or devices or homes and buildings isn't new it's just new to the general population i guess so what on the grounds that the world is obsessed with, with tla's three letter acronyms why don't we just cut to the chase and call it one letter acronym let's call it the t Thingies. <laughs> and that will encompass pretty much everything from from nest thermostats to planetoids. I mean, we just literally anything in the universe can be a thingy. Yeah. But, you know, for as ambiguous as it is, you look at Intel, and, and last quarter they did a half a billion dollars business in their Internet of Things division. So, you know, clearly there's a market for it. Clearly somebody's figured something out about it. Well, they figured out that if you put a load of successful business units under a term called Internet of Things, then you'll sell more things. I mean, it's, it's just things that are on the Internet. It's not a, I don't think it's a, like Johnny says, it's a buzzword. It's not a useful thing because it could be any. It could literally be anything. Uh, an Internet thing, you could a power station that's connected to the Internet, and I do hope there aren't any of those, or, or a Nest thermostat. Why are we better off knowing that that's an Internet of Things? That helped normally by defining something, defines it into a smaller space so that you can understand it better. If you, if you, if you, uh, if you have an Internet of Things that encompasses everything, well, how, how's that? I've defined everything, have I? Well, that's things then. Mm -hmm. So Cisco talks the Internet of Everything. Okay, that's their coined phrase. And, you know, so what's the difference? Is there a difference? Cisco but, has it. It's like it's ours. Okay. It's they sold a lot of things last year. It's a lot of <laughs> or thingies. They sold a lot of thingies last year, and they did well it's, at it. Apparently, technically, technically, Johnny, they sold a lot of everythingies. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, they're doing well at it. I'm told. Um, but again, though, the, why? Why did this term even come to be? Someone in marketing decided, you know, oh, this is connected to the internet. This is the internet of this thingy. So and that's how IoT started, is my guess, or this term, even though the concept of what, and, and it's hard to define because like if I asked each and every one of you, I already said how I feel about what I think IoT means, and Simon kind of mentioned what he thought, or, or feels, which is I think is very similar. Uh, Corey kind of mentioned a few things, and, and if I asked you know, Jane and Krista, they would probably either be similar or different, and I, because I don't think there is 
an actual definition other than marketing said, oh, you know, we created this smart puppy. It's connected to the internet. My dog writes all my stuff on the internet, so is she an internet thingy? Sure, why not? Well, actually, my dogs are microchipped. They're on the internet. Right? Mm-hmm. right. Internet thingy. I got an internet shit suit. How's that? <laughs> shit. Oh, that's IS. Mine too. That's not good. I don't have an IS. but you know what simon talking about your panel discussion infocom uh future trends and the different definitions of uc take an iot panel okay and maybe not the keynote discussion but actually put together a panel next year uh at infocom and say okay what is the internet of things and all six panelists let's see what they have to say or if one hears from the other and says yeah i'll repeat what he said i mean uh you know that would be interesting it would, it would, Corey, but the, the reality is if I did a panel at Infocom and said, yeah, we're going to do an internet of things, who'd like to get involved, there would be significantly more people on the panel than there would be in the audience. In fact, we could put the audience of six on the panel at the front, and then the panelists could be literally everyone else in the room. They could be all 250 people, and they'd all come up with a different thing, and I hope someone turns up with a cute dog. <laughs> it would be like a CES convention where general consumers just walking around and that's those are the panelists and like ooh look at all these shiny things and LEDs are flashing and and then six people are like what are you guys talking about <laughs> And, you know, invariably, the discussion of drones comes into play at that point, and then uh, we go off into that tangent, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and, and uh, to go back a little bit, Corey, you mentioned uh, the IoT panel at, at uh, Infocom. Mm. I sat through that thing with you guys, and I still don't even know what they were talking about. What I got, the, the, the little catchphrase, if you weren't there, people listening, the catchphrase was, IOT isn't part of our industry and we need to capitalize on it. And, and that was, that was it. And I'm like, okay. And that's why I don't go to the opening night speeches at Infocom. Right. Well, I will tell you, actually, I found on YouTube, there are videos of the keynote speech. They, they did, I think five different videos on the certain topics. The drones was one. And I think that was like a minute and a half. So, and that was the, lo- I think that was the longest part of the, the internet keynote or one of the longest parts. So they capsulized it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the takeaways were from that. I think it's kind of a first foray for Infocom and more next year. Plus you have the drones pavilion. Um, what are we doing with drones in the AV industry and integration? Uh, I don't know. I wanted to attend that session. Uh, that they had for drones for integrators. I never made it to it. I don't know who made it to it. I would love to know if anybody out there did to tell me what you learned from it, um, where that's going in the industry. So uh, Drones I, are taking over. Maybe they are taking over. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't go to it at Infocom, but I just know that like we've had a couple customers that want to use drones, and it mostly stems from sports. And um, I've had a, an end user who wanted to use drones to capture their uh, graduation. Mm, okay. I, I personally think there's an interesting market in drones. And I, I think that the AV industry is actually in a pretty interesting point to capture some of that because someone's got to do it. You know, there is an argument that says that the world is today, there's kind of three levels of drones. There's the, there's the go to Best Buy or Amazon or whatever and buy a $500 drone. Then there's go to Northrop Grumman and buy a $5 million drone. And you you probably have to be at school in Palo Alto to have a predator patrolling, taking pictures of graduation. And then there's somewhere in the middle. And today, those are people like um, filmmakers and high-end hobbyists in that world. And some of these drones are very sophisticated. But it's not just a drone. There's the there's the drone technology, there's video conferencing, or there's video streaming to and from it, there's video conferencing from the operator back to other locations, there's GPS tracking, there's uh, maintenance, there's uh, support, there's um, um, training for the operators, there's permits, there's all this stuff that goes on. And that seems to me that fits pretty well into the wheelhouse of of the existing AV industry. I mean, why not? I mean, it's, why, why wouldn't they take advantage of that? Because they've already got probably 75% of those skills and no one else logically has. You can't say, oh, the drone industry will do that. There isn't one. So I would argue that actually there's quite an interesting play for some subset of the AV industry to get into the drone world. I think it'll be pretty big. I mean, you look alone, 
the US has just the US and for those of you who you know I know most of us in this in this are American there is another there's a lot of other people around the world as well there's only four and a half percent of the world's population is in the US but in the US alone there's 18,000 fire uh, police uh, police forces well they're all gonna want drones and they can't go in fact some guy in Seattle was fired recently he bought a bunch of drones for his police force and some of the local residents were like, hang on, the, the police drones? Who, they all think it's Jade Helm or the federal government's invading or, you know, some other ludicrous conspiracy theory. What's this is an infringement on civil liberties, which you could argue it was. Guy gets fired for it. Head of police for Seattle gets fired for it. So to have something, and it, but he can't go and buy a predator either. One, he can't afford it. And two, I, I can see the local paper, chief, head of police of Cedar Park buys predator drone it's like what the hell i don't want to live in a world with a predator drone flying over my house so there's definitely that middle market somewhere for ems fire brigades police forces fema bunch of people not just for the not just for the uh for the fellas doing graduations and you know and, and just one more thing simon the uh the stampede video partnership that was announced at Infocom. That's to be seen, uh, you know, with the video conferencing, the drones. Um, you know, uh, I tell you what, good stuff. But again, to be seen. It's a. It's a I think it's worth. I think it's it's worth looking at. I mean, I'm not saying that there's a multi-million-dollar market today, but I am saying that someone's going to make a lot of money out of that market, and I don't know who it's going to be, but it, it's interesting. It's a lot more interesting to look at another box with a blue light in the front. <laughs> I, I think as long as the drones and the IoT market don't clash, then uh, we'll be good because otherwise it's going to be a full-on Skynet self-aware invasion. We're all going to be run by Terminators. It could so, be worse. You know, Donald Trump could be running it. And, I'll and take the Terminators. That, you know, that's a really good kind of final thought on the IOT drone discussion. And so we'll kind of move into our last little section. We'll do a little wrap up on some UC questions for Simon, just uh, quickly. So life size, when you're at life size, you had a great strategy. You had the hardware, the low cost endpoints paired with cloud-based services. So Microsoft Surface Hub plus Skype for Business, similar strategy, different strategy. Will it work or not? Uh, will work because Microsoft Microsoft has never relied on great products to sell millions of devices. So uh, Microsoft's solution will work, uh, and I'm sure it will be fine. Uh, Life Sciences solution of, of an integrated endpoint with a, with a service is genius. It's, there's no question, it's painful to, to change a business model and to change your partner model to, uh, to accommodate that is a painful experience. The other manufacturers in this space will have to do it if they haven't already, and the big players have not. They're going to have to change their way as well, and it's going to be extraordinarily painful for them when they do it. should be a very interesting space to watch next few years. I would think so. Uh, enterprise market versus the mid-market. A recent study came out that said 40% of the enterprise wants to standardize on a single UC solution. So what does that mean? Who do they standardize on? What do you oh, think of that? Uh, I've, been in, I've been in IT for 28 years. The first networking product I was selling was um, Novell Netware 2.08A, for anyone who remembers that. Um, used to put two, uh, 287 coprocessors in the Compaq 286Es to make them a bit faster. And everyone told me, oh, yeah, yeah, everyone will go Novell. And, uh, and everyone will go WordPerfect, of course, because WordPerfect is the standard. And it's got so much momentum that it'll never change. And what happens, in fact, it goes back to what my book talks about in detail, is what happens is it, the world looks like it's going to go in that way, right? 40% of IT directors are saying, oh, we want one solution. Why? Because we're going to win. There's going to be an end game. There is no end game because what happens is what success looks like in the market changes, what people want from the technology changes. And then what looked like a winning strategy previously is no longer a winning strategy. In fact, it's a totally losing strategy. So I, I'm not, I don't care too much about what, what the IT directors think because they're thinking in a linear way and something will change. Awesome. 
Great. Corey, final thoughts? Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you, Simon, in terms of the integrators out there selling the solutions, you know, obviously hardware is still fairly primary in the market. I've kind of considered it a video conference creep with cloud and VM. Uh, that's getting better. Okay. And if you went to Infocom, you've seen the solutions are getting more robust. Um, the link integration, Skype for Business integration and all. Uh, a lot of enterprises are still leading with UC applications, Skype for Business and all. But at this point, it's getting there. The creep is starting to pick up. What are you seeing now uh, at this point and how that's going to go over the next year? Well, that's a good question. I, I think that the, uh, the integrators have got themselves, they've asked for the last 20 years and the manufacturers have given them ever simpler products, even though what they don't really want is simpler products. Because what happens with simpler products is that the customers get to put it together themselves. Um, the boy, when I left, uh, well, recently I installed, I didn't, my mother installed a video conferencing system in her house. My mother's 74. She's not technical at all. Um, she's a little old lady, sweetest lady in the world, and I talk to her every Sunday morning over video, and she put together a video conferencing system on her own in her living room in 15 minutes. And the, the integrators have got to be careful because what's happening is, as Leonardo da Vinci said, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And all this stuff is getting so simple to put together and it's so good out the box that you don't need all these extra services. So these, what these folks need to do is consider about, right, well, we need to move into services. We need to get customers to rent it. It should be easier to sell, but their business model needs to change. And if they're not thinking through that, they think, oh, well, now I'll just rent it to the client or you know, do it as a service rather than sell them a box. That transition is horrible and it can easily make you go bust. So both the manufacturers need to work out ways of making it viable for the resellers, and the resellers need to think about what that's going to affect, how that's going to affect their businesses. It's dramatic stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Simon. Uh, this has been a really fascinating discussion on our very first episode of Tech Exchange. And a big thanks to Corey Moss, Chris Bender, and Johnny Moda as well. Okay, and uh, thank you, everybody out there. I'll Thank you for listening. Simon, thank you very much for joining us on this first show. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, thank you for listening and listen to the other Ray radio shows. Again, AV Power Up, the AV Insider, uh, the Rants and Raves, and all of the uh, other good shows on Rave Radio. Uh, thank you very much again for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll join you next time.